the why of Lavender and why we do what we do and why video is a big component and why LinkedIn has really gotten the, the business where it is, is we just give. We're not gating. We're not interested in creating friction. We're not interested in like paywalling any of the value that a lot of other people would be doing. They're just giving and helping. And a lot of that then is like video and just having fun and not being boring and just having fun with it at the same time. Hey there, you just heard a clip from episode 125, this episode of the People Digital Marketing Podcast, your resource for impressing your boss and eventually becoming your boss if you're a marketer. And today's guest who's going to help us do just that is Chelsea Castle. Who's Chelsea? Chelsea is a former journalist turned empathy driven marketer, and she leads content marketing at Lavender. Her 11 year career spans diverse industries from agencies to publishing, branding to SaaS, and more. She draws on her multifaceted experience and journalistic roots in her content approach and principles, which are hyper-focused on human-centered marketing. She was also the director of content marketing at Chili Piper back in 2022. In this episode, we talk about mainly two things, advice that content marketers, marketers in general should be aware of, and how AI is going to impact your career. We also touch briefly on how to promote yourself on LinkedIn. So if you are trying to do that, this is definitely an episode for you. And without further ado, let's tune in to my conversation with Chelsea Castle. Hi, Chelsea. How are you? Hey, Kenny. I'm doing well. Thank you so much for having me today. Awesome. So today's episode is very exciting for me uh, because of the organization where you work. It's very cool. Uh, but before we dive into that, I like to start every single episode the same way, just so that the listeners know who you are as a professional. So my first question for you is, how did you become a digital marketer in the first place? It's a good question. Kind of a bit by happenstance. I was actually a journalist by trade. I went to journalism school. I worked in newspapers and magazines for a while. And I was actually like an editor of a magazine and two magazines. It's my first job out of college. So after I did that, loved it. Did it for a few years, kind of felt like I hit my ceiling. And then I was like, what next? Hey, now what do I do? Do I go be a reporter? I really love journalism. Um, but I never wanted to be pigeonholed, pigeonholed in journalism. So I pivoted to the agency side. I worked at a marketing and branding agency, worked on the marketing side, and then I pivoted to the client-facing side, building websites for clients. Realized I really love tech. This was like 2013, no, 2016. Uh, I was like learning about email automation and all the cool things that you could do with different tools out there. I really loved it. Uh, and then I started, just kind of fell into tech from there. So a little bit of intentional movement and then wanting to grow and do different things, but um, it's kind of a bit by happenstance too. And can you describe for the listeners what you're doing right now? Yeah. So I'm leading content at a company called Lavender AI. So Lavender is an email writing tool. So uh, we like to call it a sales email writing coach. Uh, we don't just help you write better emails faster, get more positive replies, but we also help you and users, anyone who writes emails, get better at writing emails over time. So the AI is not just, the AI never replaces you. The AI is helping you grow and get better uh, and improve. So before we get into that, I want to talk about the narrative of your career, how it's evolved over time. And it falls perfectly with an unfortunate theme that's happening this year, which is a lot of macro layoffs. And a lot of people are trying to figure out how to pivot in their careers. When is the right time for them to switch? They may not have been laid off, but they may suspect that they might have to find a new team. 
and they're just mulling over the idea, the concept, etc. How would you suggest, or what do you suggest listeners take away when it comes to considering a career pivot? Good question. And I guess for listeners out there in a similar position to what you described, I was impacted by a reduction in force last year. I know how difficult that can be both emotionally and also you're like, okay, well, like now what? Um, I think nonlinear career paths are definitely becoming more and more common, whether that's by happenstance or by choice. And I guess to those types of people, I would say that it's always a competitive advantage, right? So I started in journalism. I'm now a marketer. There's a lot of things from journalism that make me a better marketer today. I also have a friend who made, I don't even know, maybe like a 20 plus career um, change. She used to be a marketer and a writer, and now she's actually going back to school to be a nurse. So it's really interesting to kind of take a step back and think about, okay, what skills does she have as a writer and a marketer that will help her be a better nurse and maybe apply a unique lens to what she's doing now. So I think for those people who are in that position, the sky's the limit. Like, I don't want to, I think there's a balance to be struck with like being overly optimistic and just being realistic, but you're in a position where you can say, okay, what skills do I have? What are my strengths? What I want to do? What fills me up and what satisfies me? And where do I want to spend my time and work? Like we all have to work. Um, and then what's going to be fulfilling? And then maybe there's something different that you can kind of pivot to, or maybe you want to do the same thing and there you might have like a different lens on it as well. What specific advantages do you think being a former journalist gave you to your role you have today? Yeah. So I love this question because a lot of my like favorite and some of the best marketers out there, I think are from former journalists. A lot of what I see content creators saying these days in terms of like when they're giving advice are journalism basics. So show, don't tell, um, use the inverted pyramid. What's the so what factor? You know, readers are selfish. So like, so what? Like what, what value are you giving in your content? Um, always get the name of the dog is one of my favorite lines that a former professor and friend used to say. And that's just to say, like, focus on the details, focus on things that you may not pay attention to. So all of that to say, journalism requires a lot of critical thinking, a lot of taking a lot of data and not just numbers like research, articles, qualitative, quantitative data, records, taking a lot and distilling it into something that's simple it's hard to express complex ideas in simple words. So journalism at its core is really focusing on writing and taking a lot and turning it into something that's simple, concise, but also compelling and kind of draws in like a shared humanity of why are you asking someone to take time out of their day to read whatever it is that you're writing? So those are a few of the things that as a journalist, you kind of like are like really beat into you and like you just get a lot of experience through like repetition I think there's also an advantage of being a good interviewer. And as a journalist, you have to write about subjects that you may not know a lot about, which as content marketers, you might enter a job or honestly, like not just content marketing, I think any role, sales or CS or all sorts of roles, you might enter a new job and you're like, okay, well, I'm selling data software, but I don't know the difference between data or metadata. Journalism and probably a lot of other skills and disciplines out there help you understand the right ways to learn more about a subject in order to then write about it, sell it, market it, et cetera. You are touching on a hot button topic that I've been trying to debate both internally in my team, but also just internally with myself, which is now that we have these tools, ChatGPT, all these other, other um, tools that are built off of their language learning model, 
there is this debate on whether or not marketers, writers, et cetera, are going to be replaced. That might be a very extreme question, but it does beg an answer, which is, should we be worried about AI tools or are there still going to be unique use cases where a human needs to be involved in the content marketing process? Yeah, I'm really glad you asked this question. It's something that we're talking about a lot internally, as you might suspect as an AI company. And when I started, one of the reasons why I wanted to work at Lavender was to better understand AI and GPT-3 and machine learning. Like, what does all of this mean? How does it work? I'm still learning. And what I'm going to share is my personal opinion, but also aligns with the product. Something that's really important to me is always thinking about the human on the other end as a marketer. So when you're emailing someone, that's an actual human. When you're cold calling someone, that's an actual human. You're interrupting them in their day. That's one thing that AI tools can't do and I don't think will ever do. AI tools are important. GPT-3 has been baked into Lavender as a tool for several years. I think we'll start to see GPT-3 and GPT-5 and all sorts of machine learning integrated in so many tools just for the rest of our lives. I think, at least for now, you know, from where I sit in like a learner's seat, um, I think it's really important for people to start educating themselves on what it means. So like when ChatGPT3 came out, or GPT, so many acronyms and numbers. When it first came out, you know, I had my mom sharing things like, oh, Canva has an AI tool. And there's just like a lot of people, there's not a shared language around it. So not everyone really understands it. So I'm looking forward to that evolving over time. To get back to your question, I don't think we should be worried. I think people just need to learn how to use it and use it to your advantage. Um, I'm seeing a lot of content writing agencies, for example, coming out with their stances of, we think it's a competitive advantage and here's how we're going to use it and won't replace us, but here's how we think it can help. And then I've seen other people say, we're not going to use it at all. We think it's plagiarism, blah, blah, blah. There's pros and cons, right? So the actual chat GPT as a tool it's not always accurate. It's like you have to fact check. Like there's pros and cons, but I think it does everyone a service. I think you're actually doing yourself a disservice if you don't try to educate yourself on it and learn how you can use it to your advantage. But also some people will be fine without using it. So I think it'll just be really interesting to see how it evolves. But I don't think there's a, a world where it'll completely replace us because it can't be human, right? Like if you think of like movies with robots, I've been thinking about this a lot. The robots always want to be human. Like they always want to feel, they always want to cry. Like they always want to be human. So I think you need both. It's like an input. So we always say lavender can help you with the 80%. But in order to make sure you're expressing value and you're still remembering that shared humanity and human connection, you need to do the other 20%. Hey there. I want to talk to you about a great platform that you can use to support your business, support your team, and get through this tough market, especially if you're trying to continue growing your marketing. But you need more support, and that's Marketer Hire. What's Marketer Hire? Marketer Hire is a platform similar to Upwork and Fiverr where you can hire vetted freelancers that can help you with your marketing. The difference between Upwork and Fiverr is that every single freelancer that's on the platform is vetted, evaluated for their skills, and they only get the top 1% of practitioners in the space. You can get SEO marketers, email marketers, even fractional CMOs on this platform. And what's even better is thanks to a partnership that I have with them, you can get your first $500 off in a credit 
when you hire your first freelancer on the platform. All you need to do is go to kennysoto.com forward slash hire. That's kennysoto.com forward slash H-I-R-E to get your first $500 off on your first freelance hire. And again, this is a great platform that you can use at any time whenever you're trying to scale your business at any stage of your business. So if you have a business that you're trying to grow, or if you just want to help support your team and impress your boss, visit kennysoto.com forward slash hire to get your first freelancer to support your team today. Yeah, and that other 20% is what I'm always interested in. I always try to equate it back to my role. So I work in SEO, and there's always this concept of E, which is now an extra E, that extra E being uh, expertise and having actual experience with the subject matter. So you can, and I've been playing around with ChatGPT and other tools internally for the blog that I manage. You can at least, at the very least, beat blank page syndrome where it's like, okay, I don't know what to start with. But even before then, you can always just look at what are your competitors writing about? What are your customers discussing on Reddit, Quora, YouTube comments, love looking there too. And just start compiling, gathering as much information that helps. ChatGPT kind of speeds up that process now, but at the end of the day, it's always like a C minus first draft. If you take that out of the door and show it to your users, probably going to get little, if any, engagement. You're not going to really convert anyone, and it's going to miss that voice. I don't see any of these tools having like a unique voice. Some are, some are kind of claiming that you can bake in brand guidelines into like custom roles for editing and style which even then is somewhat impressive, but it's still missing that mark of, at the end of the day, I'm trying to connect with someone. I'm trying to find a way to, if I'm a reader specifically, gain some kind of insight that I can't just get from another source, because if I can get it from another source, I'm gonna go to that source instead. And I think that's the the main challenge here. It's like, at what point of the threshold or spectrum or however you want to define it, at what point do we still need to rely on people? Because at the end of the day, it's just a tool. Like we had calculators that didn't stop us from learning and having to do math. So we just have like a different version of the calculator, but this time it's with English and with words. Yeah, 100%. And I think it's interesting too. People were so impressed by it at first and not because it wasn't impressive, but you're like, oh, here's a prompt. And then it would regurgitate a, a poem and people were really impressed by that. But if you, if a human wrote that, it was like pretty mediocre. But then also, if you think about all of the other things that technology and machine learning do for us, is, is it that impressive? It was almost just kind of like a, it just it was like a bit of a fad effect at first. Um, so yeah, I totally agree with you. It's, it's a tool it'll never replace. I think it's meant to help. Yeah. Before I ask my next question, there's another tidbit I want to just touch on. I saw on Washington Post that there's like this new role which may be temporary. Yeah. It's called prompt engineer. Engineer, yep. Yeah, and in San Francisco, they're tra- they're paying some people around three hundred twenty-five thousand dollars a year, and I think it's just hype. At the end of the day, like someone getting paid that much, they have to be providing more than just creating a database of prompts to use for whatever yeah. output. So I say this to say, and to lead to my next question, which is, are content teams going to change now, or? Our roles in general around, around like content marketing going to change. How do you think about content teams recruiting? Let's start there. How do I think about recruiting in general before yeah. thinking about AI? Okay. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, that's a good question. So building teams and being a people leader is like one of my favorite parts of my career. I've always like had the opportunity to manage people and, and lead teams. That's so like one of my favorite things to do. Um, when I think about recruiting, I think about it has a lot to do with like a content engine that's already built, right? So before I'm trying to bring people on, I want to make sure I have like a train running already for them to get on and I know where it's going. So I like to look at where are the gaps and skills that we need in order to meet our business goals. I feel like this is like very like, I don't know, I have like a bullet point list in my head. Um, but I look at like gaps, right? Like where are my weaknesses? Where do I want to spend my time? Um, where are the biggest needs that we need filled and people like what smarter people than me do I need to like ensure that we're meeting our content goals and really scaling. Um, so right now, for example, I'll kind of use my experience right now with Lavender as an early stage company. It's just me. We don't need to crawl, walk, run as a strategy. Like the company has already gotten pretty far in two years. It's content led. It's marketing led. Um, we need to walk a little bit and then run. There's only so much output that I can execute, but we're not really at a point where I it makes sense to recruit an internal content marketer. So we need to focus on volume. When I was at Chili Piper building a team, it was the opposite. We had a foundation. We had an engine running. I was executing. Now I needed to build a team. Um, we really needed someone to stay focused on SEO. So that's where I started. And then we needed to increase our quality and quantity of SEO content. So we tried agencies. We tried freelancers. We tried and experimented in a lot of different ways. And then the recruiting focus then really shifted to we needed somebody who's been a salesperson been a marketer been like our icp who understands content understands seo and bring them internally so that they're ingrained in the organization and the product and that's what worked best so i feel like that's just like a really long-winded way of saying things about recruiting but you think about goals and gaps essentially touching on goals and gaps one thing that i've noticed and this is me assuming so correct me if i'm wrong but I feel like one of Lavender's best top performing channels right now is LinkedIn. And your use of video is one of my favorite. Like I've been trying to find use cases when I'm speaking to clients of like, here's how you use video if you are B2B. And now Lavender is like one of my number one examples. Can you touch upon how you thought about the launch or the, not maybe not the launch, but starting to use video more? How do you think about going about doing that? Are you using vendors? Is it internally? Like, can you explain that kind of practice that you're doing right now? Yeah. Well, first of all, thank you so much. Um, a lot of that is like the marketing team and our co-founders, obviously, who built a lot of our marketing before they even hired a marketing team. Um, they've done this amazing job of building a really natural, organic audience on LinkedIn. And I think the, the biggest thing there is an answer to your question, but also just like something so much bigger is they just have always understood the why and the purpose. So when I say they, I mean the co-founders, Will Allred, Will Balance, and Casey Crabino, and the why of Lavender and why we do what we do and why video is a big component and why LinkedIn has really gotten the, the business where it is, is we just give. We're not gating. We're not interested in creating friction. We're not interested in like paywalling any of the value that a lot of other people would be doing. We're just giving and helping. And a lot of that then is like video and just having fun and not being boring and just having fun with it at the same time. Um, so video has always been like a big part of it after I think a lot of the helpful content and educational content kind of was received really well. Um, now we've got some folks on board, shout out to Todd Klauser and Will Aiken, um, who are just like video masterminds. And then our CEO actually has led Lavender Joe. If you haven't seen those videos, listeners definitely worth checking out. So 
it's it's a really big part of everything that we're doing. But now that I've joined and we've got um, Jen Allen on board too to help with community, we're all feeding into each other essentially and our content, whether it's written, whether it's video, whether it's on TikTok or LinkedIn or YouTube um, or on our website, everything will feed into each other so that we're providing the same value that the videos and LinkedIn content does, but we're meeting people where they are and you can consume it across any platform. Um, like for me, for example, I want to read a blog post or an article. I don't really want to watch a video. Um, other people are different. So we want to make it as accessible and frictionless and helpful as possible. And that's a big part of the video strategy too. How does Lavender use Lavender? <laughs> um, I mean, pretty simply, like, we use it in our own emails, right? So we have our own dashboards where we can see each other's scores. So for those who don't know, Lavender also gives you a Lavender score where it looks at your subject line, your clarity, the words you're using, the sentences, signatures, et cetera, and gives you a score based on all of that and tells you where you need to improve, what things need to be fixed and highlighted, and also how to fix them. And then the score, if you get 90 or above, our data shows that you have at least a 20.5% um, chance of having, or sorry, you have a higher chance of getting a 20.5% reply rate. So if you always send an email that's at least 90 or above, you're most likely going to get a reply. Um, so we use it for our own emails. We use it also for coaching. So even our co-founders and everyone in our team does a lot of coaching. So we can actually just pull up the tool, show people their emails, rewrite them, tear them down, build them back up. And then we have the product right there to show you how it works and why it works and what needs to be improved and how. Um, we've also been using it for other pieces of content. So myself and a lot of team members, you can use Lavender anywhere where you can plug your LinkedIn post or blog post even, and you can plug it in there and it'll assess it. So picture something like Grammarly, but obviously like a lot more intelligent than that and looking at different elements of personality and, and data points. Myself even, I've been using it and even chat GPT sometimes just to experiment, right? In a lot of the same ways that you were saying. It's not been super helpful for me. <laughs> chat GPT has not been super helpful for me as a writer. Sometimes it'll like give me a word like, oh, that word gives me an idea. It's like having someone in your office next to you to kind of riff ideas on, off of. It's not always like the best. Um, but Lavender, at least, like I've been using it for content too to kind of like refine it, make sure it's more concise um, and those sorts of things. So anytime like we're writing something, we use our tool. Yeah. Source material definitely matters. A follow-up would be how is Lavender, how and why is Lavender helping job seekers right now? So it goes back to the why, right, that I mentioned earlier. So the ethos of the company and why they started is to give first and work hard. And Will Balance has, is our CEO. He has this idea and it feeds into everything that everyone does just pretty organically and authentically. And if we give, then the value will come back to us. So even when we're doing marketing programs, I'm not doing email nurtures where I'm trying to get people to buy <clears throat> buy lavender or install right away or give a demo. I'm saying, hey, like, what questions do you have about email? How can we help you? Um, and then that spurs conversations. People who actually are in buying mode will then respond and be like, hey, like, I actually am interested. We had some hand raises for demos without me prompting it. Um, but that's why job seekers is really important. Um, there's also an element of bootstrapping, right? So the co-founders worked really hard to bootstrap the company. In their words, they've talked about, hey, like, we didn't have a whole lot. And now they're just really humbled by 
being able to have a product that helps a lot of people. So at the end of the day, everything that we do is about our users and helping them, job seekers especially, using a tool that helps you with outreach. You know, anything can be a sales email if you're recruiting, if you're emailing a hiring manager. That can be really hard, right? That can be intimidating. What words do I use? What words do I not use? How do I communicate effectively? How do I represent myself in an email to try to get this job? Um, we just care a lot about helping those people and everything we do just kind of goes back to helping. And just if we just do that authentically, we know that, I guess it's like a karma thing. They don't express it that way, but everything, like the value will come back to us, you know? Before I ask my last two questions, I just want to touch upon, and I, I love giving kudos where kudos are due and Lavender and the whole team, they deserve it. I think karma is a tactic, if you will. It's something that definitely could be leveraged. I always used to think that, especially with B2B SaaS, but also just MarTech in and of itself, like you're not selling a product, you're selling a skill. Yeah. And one way to get embedded is to be at every stage of someone's career, right? So I've been using, for example, side note, Sprout Social since I became a marketer back in 2015. Every single time I get the chance to have a say in a tech stack and it's about social publishing, I always mention Sprout Social because I've been using it for so long. It's not just a product anymore. It's a skill I have. And I think being there at that touch point of someone trying to get a new job, if they get that job and they just so happen to have a say in the tech stack and they're like, what should we use for email? Lavender is going to be top of mind because it helped them get that job in the first place. So it's just a perfect tactic to leverage. Yeah. No, I mean, that's that's a really good point to highlight, especially because I don't even think about it that way. And I don't even, I mean, maybe not either, like in terms of the team, like we just care about helping people. But that's a really good point. And even like that goes back to, I think, just being human in our jobs in general, like to your same point, if I ever have the opportunity to get to bring on a certain type of tool, I always recall the experiences that I had with those salespeople and the CSMs and the relationships and rapport that you cultivate with other people. Again, just focusing on being human, like that can have a lasting effect on everything. Yeah. Sticky value is how uh -huh. I coined that. Now, yeah. when it comes to your personal LinkedIn, how are you thinking about scaling engagement over time? Um, is it Does it have any value to the team? Is it mainly for your personal brand? What, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah. So I'd want to shout out my teammate Todd Klauser here, where when he was brought onto the team, he's had this idea of helping everyone on the team be a creator if that's what they want to be. Um, he said a really good job with that, as well as other people on my team. For me personally, that's not my personal goal. Like I'm hardly an expert on telling anyone how to scale. Um, I am, however, like uh, I like a sponge. I soak up definitely insights and patterns from other people and what I see, and also like from everyone I'm surrounded by at Lavender. Um, so I'm happy to give some tactical tips there. But at least for me, I really focus on my why. Like, why am I doing this? <laughs> LinkedIn and like creating content for LinkedIn, depending on who you are and what you're doing and why you're doing it, it can take a lot of time, right? So when I first started at Lavender, I was really inspired to ramp up my LinkedIn content. And then I was like, this is taking a lot of time. And then I started getting like hate DMs. And I'm just like, well, why am I doing this? Like, what do I want to do? Like, I've been posting content on Twitter and LinkedIn for a while. Like that's how you and I connected, right? Twitter. So I started just focusing back on why am I doing this? Growing an audience isn't my goal. I just want to write hot content that helps people. And also for myself, I'm a writer. I've always like blogged online. 
I really love the idea of like sharing thoughts and questions and insights and learning. So then having a conversation about it. So that's my why. But I would encourage people to think about what are you writing about? Who are you writing for? What are your goals? How are you doing it? Like what's your format? And I think being clear on all of those things will help you scale while also keeping your head on straight. And it also helps you set boundaries so that you have a healthy relationship with social media while you're making the most of it. I think that's something that people don't talk about enough. If you're caught up in scaling and growing and not just having some sort of set boundaries for yourself, it can become like a beast of its own. Yeah. If you don't have the right why, and I've experienced this myself, like back in 2016, 2017, my why was, oh, I want to go viral. So I'm going to create a blog. And that was the wrong why to have. Having that why made it so that I was being very self-centered, one. And two, when things get tough, which they always do if you're trying to scale a personal brand, you quit halfway. Mm-hmm. When you have your why focused on, I want to serve XYZ person in XYZ way. In this case, I want to serve early entry level marketers by sharing insights from experts like yourself. Now I'm almost at what? This is going to be episode 125 right? There's no quitting anymore because the why creates that boundary that makes Uh it very easy to keep going. The moment your why is centered on yourself, trying to make money, trying to become an influencer, trying to go viral, like those are the wrong whys to have. You're going to quit by the time you're on like the sixth iteration of your content scheme or whatever you're doing. And it's just not going to be fun. And if you're doing something, especially on LinkedIn, where it's like the conversation is very industry focused, you want it to be fun because if it's not, then you're going to quit. And then it's like a waste of time. Why are you even doing it in the first place? Exactly. It can start to feel like a job. Yeah. I think the fun point is is important, especially like doing it in a way that's authentic to you. Yeah, I can totally get a, get away from itself. Yeah. My last question for you, Chelsea, is hypothetical because time machines do not exist. But if one did and you can go back in the past about 10 years knowing everything you know today, how would you specifically accelerate the speed of your career? How would I accelerate the speed of my career? Man, so my first thought, I'm just going to totally riff since I have never thought about this before. I wouldn't want to. I wouldn't want to accelerate the speed of my career. So I answer this in two portions. A, I wouldn't really want to do that. But then B, I'll think about some tips for maybe somebody who's listening to this and does want to do that. For me personally, uh, I love the idea of like regrets are not a good thing because having or sorry, having no regrets is not a good thing. That's kind of like a thing you hear a lot, especially in movies. You're like, no regrets, no regrets. Well, actually, it's not a bad thing to have regrets because that means that you're taking time to reflect on an experience and learn from it. So in this context, I think it's important to know like everything in your life, every single domino, whether it's been good or bad, you know, relationships, career moves, it's got anywhere you are. So I wouldn't be the marketer I am today without every single experience I've had in my like 11 plus year career. And that all has given me like skill sets and mindsets that enable me to be the best version of myself as a mom and a human and podcast guest and a marketer. Um, And that's all really important. I wouldn't want to accelerate anything because I think everything just kind of led to how it was supposed to map out for me. If someone does want to accelerate their career, goodness, Kenny, this is a hard one. Um, I think you're at an advantage today because you can lean on networks and community on social. Um, so for example, when I was impacted by a riff last year, LinkedIn really showed up for me. And I will forever be grateful for that, of just people coming out and helping each other. And 
despite the climate today, there's a lot of people hiring and a ton of like even more people who are willing to help each other out. Um, so this is less about like accelerating your career in the way that you asked the question and a little bit more around just the idea of like leaning into other people, people around you and asking for help um, and learning from how other people have approached and failed and like the mistakes that they've experienced in the career. Every time I have a conversation like this, or I've been, especially lately, I've been meeting up, just having more Zoom calls with people I've known on Twitter for a long time. Um, and just having those conversations and soaking all of that up, like, is astronomically disadvantageous and you, and you learn a lot. So that's my half answer. No, that was perfect. That's why I love asking this question, because when you mentioned community, one thing I'm noticing as, like, a, a benefit if you take it seriously is obviously you'll learn a lot as a marketer from your team, but you can also learn outside of your team. If you take the time to join Slack communities, Facebook groups, find ways to do uh, e-meetups, if you will, where you're joining a webinar or joining a workshop. And those opportunities are always going to be out there. Sometimes they're going to be kind of like rug pulls where someone's trying to sell you something, but there's still value there. And mm -hmm. if you're not taking advantage of that, then you're still going to learn, but you're leaving so much opportunity off the table that is available to you sometimes, if not most of the time for free. And it's just sometimes it's as simple as, hey, can I get five minutes of your time? I'm just trying to figure out how to be a better email marketer, or I'm trying to figure out where's the best resource to learn about PPC. And it sometimes you got to know, but the answer is automatically no if you don't ask. So right. at the end of the day, you got to leverage community. It's out there. There's more than enough people who are organizing the community now, and they're always trying to promote, trying to get new members. So why not take advantage of it if it's available? Yeah, 100%. And I think kind of going back to a lot of the themes of what we've been talking about, understanding that why. So like if you want to accelerate your career, like why? Why are you trying to get to X or B place faster? Um, so learn from those around you, engage in communities, but then also just kind of like take the time to reflect on like why you're wanting to do that in general. Chelsea, if anyone wanted to say hello to you online, where can they find you? Yeah, I encourage everyone to say hello to me online. You can find me on LinkedIn or Twitter. My handles are just my name, Chelsea Castle. Awesome. Thanks for your time today. And thank you to you, the listener, for listening to another episode of the People Digital Marketing Podcast. And if you haven't done so, please rate us on whatever podcast app you're listening to this on and subscribe for more episodes in the future. And as always, I hope you have a great day. Bye. Thanks, Kenny. Thanks again for listening to this episode of the podcast. On the next episode, episode 126, I will have Justin Mink on the podcast. He was recommended to me by Corey Quinn, a previous podcast guest. And on this next episode, we will talk about the intersection between marketing and sales and what does a chief revenue officer do? And what's the difference between a chief revenue officer and a chief marketing officer? We'll also talk about entrepreneurship and how he got into becoming an entrepreneur in his career. What a degrading company culture can do to change team's performance over time in a negative way and much more. So if you like this episode with Chelsea, you'll definitely like this episode that's coming up next week with Justin. And if you haven't done so, please subscribe, rate this podcast, and share it with a coworker. And as always, have a great day. Bye.